0: The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and you know, I got a haircut recently. Where I get my hair cut, everybody is Dominican but me. And so, for some reason, they're all speaking Spanish. And I was just listening, as you could imagine. I was, and there was somebody saying, Tampoco. So they weren't saying tambien, not and your mother tambien. They were saying tampoco. So tambien, that's also. You know, Everybody even with baby Spanish knows that. Now then if you have toddler Spanish, tampoco, me either. So tambien, tampoco. And they're in the kind of opposition. Tampoco is the negative tambien. It got me thinking. Usually where I get subjects for these shows, if it isn't somebody's suggestion, is some random thing. just got me thinking it's funny how you negate things. There's something interesting about that in just about any language. And between my Dominican haircut experience and the fact that a certain someone wants me to do a show about this, I decided that I'm going to do a show about knowing things, as in noting things. How do you negate? I did one before, back in about 1957, but I want to do some other things here that I haven't covered because negation is. Land and official as that sounds. It sounds like some nerdy linguist term because it is. Negation is actually always really cool. You just have to look a little more closely than we're usually trained to. So, for example, in English, in standard English, negation can, frankly, be kind of dull, or at least it is to me, because that's what I speak. But the thing is, the question is, what kind of English do you mean? Because the truth is, if you look at Real English. And what I mean by real English is English closer to what English would have been if it had been allowed to just evolve from Old English on into the ether, instead of getting interrupted by a bunch of adult Vikings fucking it up starting in 787 AD. If none of that had happened, then English would be a very different thing. Some living Englishes are closer to what English would have been if that hadn't happened. And one of those Englishes is in the black country. And no, I... (laughs) I don't mean Oakland, I don't mean Bedsty. I mean in England, it is an area near Birmingham, I guess Birmingham, and here is somewhere where there is a local dialect of English that is quite unlike anything that we have ever heard over here, and I think, frankly, I suspect, for most people over there, this is a really precious recording of people in our modern era. They're of a certain age and then some, but they are speaking full-blown black country English. Listen to these people just talking about some stuff. Where well, we lived, I had nothing on the water, on the so canal. You,
1: we used to go to bed with either a candle or a little kelly lamp. Oh, you got got get up in the morning, you have all black around your mouth from the oils. Oh, you've got to go to bed with a candle. It's true. And if you've got to get out in the night, if you was want to go on the toilet, if you it was six it. foot of snow, you've got to walk through it. Up the yard, <laughs> the back of the house. And if there was six in the yard, your neighbours, they, they'd had to take the turn with the washing and cleaning the toilets. It's true. Oh. And so the house light the light, light, light the... Ball of water for your washing. Oh, yes. After the First World War, and they walked all the way to Dudley to get some work, and when they got there, they turned the house pipes on them. That's true. And it, when it was a bad trip to the point. You'll go get it now. You'll go get water for that now. And what they used to do with the stamps, they no, I'm not pulling out leg. Like, I've seen them go in the stamp. they put out hype in for the stamp, the stamp. But it didn't work, it's slow.
0: And well, they've had about three stamps out of there for eight the If
1: you left your husband in them days.
0: Yes, it is English. You would think they're speaking Swedish or Klingon or something. But if you listen to it again, if you if you go back and listen, you can see that it's English. It's just not an English that we're used to. But there's something particularly cool about black country English. And I want you to hear it here. Mike, could you go back to the place where they're talking about water? Let's listen to this man. You call get it now. You call get water for that now. Now, if you really listen to him, what he's saying is you call get water. You call get water. Now, we just hear that and we let it pass and we think well there's that Norwegian that he seems to be speaking, but no. Call is can't. And so, in black country English, the negative forms of verbs are often completely different. So not just can and then cannot can't, but there's can and if you're talking about not can, then it's not can't, it's call. And then there's a whole series of these things. You shall, but it's not shant, which is a little distorted from shall. But still, you can tell. It's I shall, but if I not shall, then I shet. Or I will, but if I won't, there's no n't at all. It's just I woe. So I will. No, I woe do that. That means no, I won't do that. And my these are my favorite two of them, actually. I do, but then it's not I don't, not like doont becomes don't. I do, but then if I not do, I day. Like, where did that come from? I have something, and it's I have, the H is dropped, so I have. And then it's not I haven't, it's I a. So I don't have a hat, I a hat. That's how this English works. That is the way English could have been if those Vikings hadn't come and screwed it up. I love me some Danes and Norwegians, but you guys' as ancestors came and made Old English easier, and so we don't have cool things like what a linguist would call suppletive negated verb form. So, if you're Korean, you know how this goes. There, there's a sprinkling of weird verbs in Korean. If you know something, then you all something. If you don't know, then you molu. So, all, but not knowing is molu. It sounds completely different. There are a couple... More of those in Korean. Well, you know, if English were really fun, then English would have that. But instead, we just have things like do, don't, have, haven't. I want English to be harder. I want to present more challenges to the foreign learner. But I can't always get what I want. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. No, you don't have to hear the rest of it. That was from Cabaret. That's the original cast album, and it's the verse to the song, If You Could See Her Like I Do. And I just wanted to play that little bit of I Know What You're Thinking. I've wanted to do that now for four years. Because I know what you're thinking now, which is that if you look at English in all of its splendor, we do have a supremely irregular negative verb in the form of good old ain't. What about ain't? Now, ain't is supposed to be wrong, but if you've listened to at least a few of my shows, you know that the idea that ain't is wrong is something arbitrarily imposed starting especially in the 1800s, but only only then, so not 10 minutes ago, but 15 minutes ago, ain't is something that just emerged naturally. Because the verb to be is used a lot and anything that gets used a lot gets all banged and dinged up like my wonderful Hyundai Elantra. It was 12 years old, I'm driving down the street and some crazy hopped up teenager slammed right into the side of my sweet little Hyundai. And for now, I'm Carlos. Yes, I'm fine. I My shoulder got knocked up a bit. But the point being that that Hyundai, by the time it was destroyed by this heedless little son of a bitch, was actually quite dinged up because it was 12 years old. So there's ain't. Where does ain't come from? People often ask me, well, you know, we should talk about it. Just because ain't smells like bubble gum and dirt doesn't mean that it doesn't have a history. It's a cute little train wreck, actually. Ain't is partly amont. As you can imagine, there are people who say amont, as I've discussed on this show. You say, I'm your friend, aren't I? And we don't think about how irregular that is. You don't say, I are your friend. It should be, amont I? And there are people who say it, for example, in Scotland, and throughout history there have been, but after a while, people like that started getting smacked in the back of the head. But it should be amint. But you don't want to say amint. That's going to become ant after a while. So that was one contribution. If you say isn't enough, and you're not thinking about the page, ent, ent, ant, 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 that went into the mix. Then suppose you are saying aren't, but suppose you're British. And suppose it's the early 1800s and it's becoming more and more common to drop Rs in certain places. And so it isn't R anymore in many places, but it's ah, that thing that we Americans like so much about many British Englishes. And so it isn't aren't anymore, but it's aren't, aren't, they aren't. So we've got amand has become ant, we've got isn't has become ant, and we've got aren't has become are And next thing you know, you've got this new form that starts out, as aunt, and after a while, you've got this ant, ain't, 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 because sounds are always changing. There was one little bump, though, that was interesting. We talk about this as coalescence. And so think about, he hasn't done it, and then somebody's saying, well, he ain't done it. He ain't done it. He hasn't done it. He ain't done it. Well, it's ain't there, but nobody ever said he isn't done it. That comes from he hasn't done it, hasn't, ha'nt, ha'nt, ha't haint, and then because the British love dropping the H's, you've got ain't. So all of those things came together and that created little ain't. These were natural processes, nobody walked around announcing it or anything like that. Ain't in the form that we're used to, only really settles in in the 1700s. Before that, you've got ant. And before the 1600s, we don't really know whether it was there at all. So, ain't is relatively new, but of course, it is quite robust. And that's where our version of the Korean with the al versus molu for know and don't know comes from. So, we have got our sweet little ain't. Is, well, what's the negative form? Well, you person learning English, it's ain't. And you just have to know, we have at least one of those. So, because I gave you a little tease of a show tune, about one in two of you are wishing that I had actually played the real thing, well, I'm not going to play that from Cabaret. Cabaret is a little too well-known. And also, I played in a pit of a full-dress production of Cabaret once, where my job was to substitute for the bassist and play the bass notes on a keyboard. Boom, boom boom, boom. It was so dull. Every night, I would have a different gr- a different friend. <laughs> they were never male friends, but a different friend next to me, and we would kind of kibitz down there and talk because it was so boring. So I have this thing about cabaret. It made me permanently tired of cabaret, and that was 30 years ago now. But instead, we're going to play an Ain't song. This is from New Girl in Town. If any of you are familiar with Eugene O'Neill's Anna Christie, well, yes, there was a Broadway musical of it. And if you think that doesn't sound like it would have quite made Made sense. You were quite right. It was a Bob Fosse dance show with Gwen Verdon. That was the point. And as soon as it played for a year and toured, nobody ever thought about it again except for obsessives like me. But it did have a score. The score wasn't top drawer, but it had some cute things in it. This is a song called You're My Friend, Ain't ya? And for those of you who are old movie fans and you like Thelma Ritter in Rear Window and All About Eve in particular... You're getting to listen to Thelma Ritter singing a song. This is You're My Friend, Ain't ya? We are in 1957.
1: You're my friend, ain't ya, or am I wrong? And a friend wants a friend to get along. Friends can have a laugh like strangers never can. Friends have better fights than strangers ever can just right for you. I ain't too smart. But I'd fight for you and I'd take your part. So if I call you a square head or a dirty rat, don't get mad at that. I'm your
0: friend. Now, you know what else I think of if you know, I'm getting a haircut and thinking about negation and somebody wants me to do a show about negation, one thing I think of, and this is going to seem almost predictable to a lot of you, is I start thinking uh, of Chinese. And that's because you could think that in Chinese, how you make verbs negative is kind of dull. They have a word that means basically not. Then they've got one that you use essentially in the past. So there are two. And there you go. So you figure, well, whatever. But no, if you look more closely, you find that the idea that Mandarin doesn't have grammar because it doesn't have hablo, hablas sabla. there are various ways that that isn't true. I've shared them with you. But boy, verbs and negation, depending on which verbs you're looking at, is one of those things. And so, in Mandarin, as you're kind of scooting and skidding around in the language, you start to think to yourself, it's kind of hard to know how to say that you can't do something. Talk about can and call. It's worse in Mandarin. How do you say you can't do something? There's this nung, okay, that's fine, and bukoyi, those will take you to a certain point. Bu is the negative word. Then there's nung and, and kuyi, okay. Yeah, but that's not always what it is, if you're talking about not being able to do something, really, there's this whole list of constructions that you have to learn to use because it's all subdivided very finely. Languages can get picky about all sorts of things, and one thing that Mandarin gets picky about is this issue of can'tness. Just sitting, for example. In Porgy and Bess, George Gershwin's opera, there's a song, I Can't Sit Down, and you'd think that would be very basic, you know, just I can't sit down, here it is actually, and I'm playing this partly because this is the 1976 Houston Opera recording, and it's important to me because I was there. My mother dragged me to that when it came through Philadelphia, and I didn't know that I liked opera, I didn't know that I liked musicals, I wasn't raised with that sort of thing. I just knew I was sitting there seeing this thing that they were doing, and I was just floored. I actually cried, and I'm not a crier. I remember so much of the music got the recording. I'm 10 years old, and I don't know that I'm going to become this weird, straight musical theater fan. And I remember I can't sit down. I remember the way it was staged. Here is the music. Anyway, how would you say that in Mandarin? It depends on why you can't sit down. What's keeping you from sitting down? And so, for example, sit, dzuo, okay? Bu is the not word. So, you say sit, not something. I can't sit down. If you're going to say something along the lines of, "Mm, I can't fucking sit down. Frankly, that is really how I sense what it would be. And so, you would say, bu liao. So, I can't sit down. And that's, sit not able. So, that's that's basic. So, 坐不了. All right, fine. But as often as not, that's not what you're going to say because it depends on the situation. It utterly delights me. So, for example, you walk in and you want to sit down but the chair's over at the other side of the room. Well, Dao is to reach to get to something. So if you were going to say that, well, I can't sit down. I've been watching The Deuce, the David Simon series. So I'm imagining one of the gangsters in it. I can't fucking sit down. And it's because the chair, look at it. It's all the way over there. I, I, I can't sit down. What that person would say if he happens to speak Mandarin, and you know he just might, is that the chair is too far away. I can't get to it. And so it's not, that's nice. He can't sit down, but there's a reason. It's, bu dao. So sit, not reach. That's what you would say. Or let's say that you walk in and you know, the, the chair, it's broken. It can't hold you. Or it's got slime, that stuff kids like on it. But especially it, it's collapsed. It won't hold you. Then it's 做不正. <laughs> Chung is to accomplish something, to manage to do something. Can't quite manage to sit into this one because it keeps collapsing. I guess that's not the slime. But, you know, it's one of those weak, stupid Lawn chairs. Or, for example, you walk into a room, and there are all these people sitting there, and there's maybe one chair. It's kind of like you're at Penn Station in New York City, and you're trying to find somewhere to sit down while you're waiting for your train. And so you can't find anywhere to sit. And so there's nowhere to basically sit your butt down. You can't go down. You can't xia. And so you would say, which is, there's nowhere to sit. There's nowhere that I can debut my, <laughs> myself, basically. Or, you know, you can't sit down. Really, if you were going to translate Porgy and Bess into Mandarin, what they're saying, and I can't sit down because I'm so excited because I want to go pick strawberries, etc., I can't hold myself still, is sit, not stop. I can't stop myself and sit down. And so, you would say, zhuo <laughs> bu I can't sit down. So, that's what it would be. That doesn't quite sound as good, does it? But that's what it would be. You can't sit still because your legs hurt. I don't know why I want to say legs. Your legs hurt. Well, then it's, you know, that means that you just can't quite manage because your legs hurt. And so, you, okay. Then there's one other one that I know of. And that is that there's a word, and that's to rise up metaphorically it extends. And so means I can't rise. I can't sit to rise. And it means that I can't afford to sit here. And so I can't afford to sit on this plane. I can't rise up to what sitting upon this would mean. So you have to know all those little things. That's a list of how you use all those verbs in that second place. All of that is the equivalent of ablo, ablas, habla. All those verbs might as well be endings. And so how do you say I can't sit down in Mandarin? It's all sorts of things. And you just have to know which one of those to use. And by the way, as you can imagine, I'm not anywhere near that good at this point. I got this list in this sense from Lingza Zhuang. Thank you very much, Lingza. I could feel these things vaguely, but to have somebody actually list them out, this is the way Mandarin ought to be taught. You heard it from unqualified, who the hell is he, me, first. But this stuff ought to be taught like hablo, ablas habla, in just exactly that way. Now, there's some things that I think you guys are thinking about that actually I did already, and I don't want to offend by repeating myself too obviously. And so, for example, many of you often write to me about, yeah, no. Yeah, no, I, that business of no meaning yeah. And the thing is, I did a show, the title of it was In the Negative, a few years ago where I talked about, yeah, no, so I shouldn't repeat. And then I've also talked about how Old English had a double negative, and so I I can't sing in Old English. Sing was singen, and then I ich. Okay, now you could say ich ne kon singen. I can't sing because it was normal. You just put not before something. Ich ne kon singen. I can't sing, but you could also say to emphasize it at first. I can't not sing, and so I can't sing not. And after a while, people stopped using the ne, and that's where our not comes from. So I can not sing. But for a while, it was ne, connacht, in the same way as French would have had something like, je ne peux pas, I can't. So you have that headphones thing where you have negation being something on either side of the verb. Old English started that way and dropped the ne. Well, why is it? that you can have these situations where it technically doesn't make sense. And I don't want to feed into these prescriptive senses that somebody says, well, I don't see nothing. And then somebody bops you on the back of the head and says, well, that means that it's not nothing that you don't see. So you must mean something, right? And then you sit there and you cry bitter tears and you wonder why you're alive. That sort of thing has to stop. But still, technically, you do wonder why isn't language logic? And it isn't. But why isn't language logic? So, It starts with, I not can sing. Then you say, I not can nothing sing. Why doesn't it mean I sing something? How does it happen that you have this business of no, not meaning what it means? Well, for that, we have to go to some other languages, and then come back to our own, or versions of our own. This is actually something fun. I'm going to take you into a little rabbit hole of my own mind. What it is, is that there's something that you could call negative spread. It's kind of like Pabstet. I've been listening to my beloved Great Gildersleeve radio show, and there's some craft product called Pabstet, and I can never quite figure out what it is, some sort of Velveeta spread. There is negative spread, and what's good for this is French. These days, I get the feeling a lot of people would rather that I use Spanish, but we've got to use French because the examples here are beautiful. Make sure he doesn't see you. Avoid letting him see you. Évite. Avoid letting him see you. Évitez qu'il vous voit, that he you sees. Avoid letting him see you. Évitez qu'il vous voit, wrong. It's évitez qu'il ne vous voit, avoid that he doesn't see you. And what that means is avoid him seeing you. So it's kind of like it combines he doesn't see you, don't let him see you, with avoid that he sees you, and it comes out as a void that he doesn't see you. Notice how even in colloquial English, you would know what that meant. Somebody says, you know, make sure that he doesn't see you. You don't mean that make sure that he kind of looks past you. You you would know what it meant. It's this negative spread. So before you make a decision, and there's something about how French puts this that just feels so good. So before you make a decision, avant que, before, vous, you, make a decision, prenez une décision so, avant que vous preniez une décision. Wrong. Avant que vous ne preniez une décision. Before you don't make a decision. And it means before you make a decision. One more. I have less work than you do. J'ai moins de travail que vous en avez. I have less work than you do. J'ai moins de travail que vous n'en avez. Then you don't have. I have less work than you don't have. Almost makes sense in English and French, you have to put it that way the negative ends up popping up in places that it doesn't belong. So I have less work than you do. And you're thinking, well, you don't have as much work. And you put all that together into a sentence, that random sloppy thought process happened when Latin was turning into French and it became what we consider perfectly standard French. Avoid that he doesn't see you. Notice how you know what that is supposed to mean even though it doesn't technically make sense. And you know, it's not only French, This can happen in forms of English, and you know, I'm taking you into too many of my rabbit holes in this episode, but I've been spending the pandemic, yes, I have to mention it even in the Happy Valley, pandemic, watching through all of the Jeffersons, and the Jeffersons is great for language, partly because of Black English, partly because of how people were speaking almost what is now 50 years ago. Here is something that George Jefferson says. In an 8th season, yeah, they did 11, I'm in season 8, an 8th season episode of Lay Jefferson's. Hi, Doc. (laughs) How are you? Yeah. Uh, The emergency? Well, uh, see, I'm organizing a little poker game over here tonight, and I just wanted to know if you'd like to come. What do you mean I dragged you away from your patients? It ain't like you no real doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, okay, don't be so touchy. So you hear that? Ain't like you no real doctor... What he doesn't mean is, it isn't like you're not a real doctor. He's making fun of him. He's saying, it's not like you're a real doctor. This person is a marriage counselor in the script, for the record. So, ain't like you no real doctor. Same thing. You start with the core of it, which is somebody saying, well, you ain't no real doctor. Okay. Then, it isn't like, but you've got that same sentiment. And so, sloppily, you jam the sentences together. Ain't like you no real doctor. That is good, solid, black English, not black country English, although I wouldn't be surprised if they do the same thing, but this is American black English, and it makes perfect sense. When you watch this episode, if you have to sit through it, you do not misunderstand what George meant. We have to talk about the fact that you could listen to this show without any commercials. You've probably already heard one so far. Well, you could be listening to this with not only no commercials, but you could also be hearing it with some kind of tag. There could be something that I do at the end where I share some random fact, and you can't hear it unless you sign up for the very special Slate Plus program. With Slate Plus, this is what you get. No damn commercials. You get more show. And this is not only true of Lexicon Valley, but for all of Slate's other podcasts and with some of the podcasts like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, you get extra episodes if you sign up for Slate Plus for a nominal fee. It's just nominal. Now, for the first month, you only have to pay a dollar. Then, yeah, it gets to be more than that, but nothing that would break the budget of most of you. And for that nominal fee, remember, no commercials, more of all the shows, extra episodes of some of the shows. And all you have to do to get yourself some Slate Plus is go to slate.com slash lexicon plus today. And by the way, while we're at a little bit more um, business, there is a survey we only do this now and then, and this is your chance to tell us what you think about Slate Plus and Slate. We want to know so we can make the product better. It only takes a few minutes. It's not one of those 25-minute surveys. And you can find it at slate.com survey. So please take our survey and let us know how we're doing, especially with Slate Plus, because we know that these things are, like us, fragile businesses. And then while we're on these black varieties of English, whether it's the black country or black people, we need to go to Jamaica because there's another interesting thing about negation in the kind of English spoken colloquially in Jamaica, often known as patois. And patois skirts that line between being a different language from what we think of as English and being a dialect of English. I don't think we can come to any kind of decision. But there's a really interesting thing about negation there. No one talks about this. I'm not sure how many people think about it, but it's always kind of intrigued me. And so, for example, if you want to say something like, No, wait, wait. We're talking about John. The way you say it is, No John we are talking about. Jamaicans, I'm sorry how I sound. It's been a while since I've been there. No John we are talking about. So it's John that we're talking about, but you say no. No John we are talking about. Now notice that in standard English in America, we would not say, No John we're talking about. That doesn't make sense. You'd have to say, No, it's John or something. But in Jamaican patois, you say, No John we are talking about. Or something like, Well, you know, all of that was something that John said. All this is just John's stuff. And then somebody wants to say, No, George is the one we're talking about. What you would say is, But wait, wait, wait. No Jaji. It's George. No Jaji. And what the no means is it's. No Jaji. Notice, we wouldn't say, No George. We could as an exclamation, but in Jamaican Patois, no jaji is actually a whole sentence in the same way as no john we are talk but. It's not no john we're talking about, it's no john we are talk but. It's a whole different way of having a sentence. You know what that is? It's this spread of knownness where at first it doesn't belong. It's this thing that happens in languages. In Jamaican Patois, originally, is was na. And I've shown you that in Sranan in Suriname, and we talked about that in Nigerian Pidgin and Creole when we talked about the trajectory of Jamaican back to Africa, etc. So, in early Jamaican Patois, the way you said is was na. So, this thing where today you say, no, John, we are back then, it used to be, nah, John, we are and that meant it's John that we're talking about. But this is how these things work. The na Shortened as things do, and so just like haint becomes ain't in that kind of regional British English, well na became a. So today, if you were going to say it's John, you a John that used to be na John. Now it's a John. So there's no more na, but the na stuck in certain expressions such as na John, we are talk what na jaji, but. If there's no more na meaning to be anywhere else in the language, you start reinterpreting it. It sounds like something else. It sounds like no. So next thing you know, people aren't saying, na jan we talk You say, no jan we talk And next thing you know, you have this no in a situation where if you talk to a Patois speaker, they don't think of that as making any strict sense. They'll say, well, all right, yeah, I guess that's the way it is. It's just, you know, an idiom, you know, slang or something like that. But really what it is, is that language is always delightfully messy. So, no John we're talking about, because it used to be that if you said, nah, John we're talking about, you meant it's John. And the closest thing that nah sounds like is no, after a while. So, there you go. And so, if you're learning how to use the word no, In Jamaican Patois, you have some work to do because it doesn't always quote unquote follow from the way we would think no would be used. Just delicious stuff. There's something I need to do that genuinely does not sit gracefully with me, which is I have to sing of myself a little bit because I'd be an idiot not to. In May, my nine nasty words is coming out. It's a jolly romp through all the profanity that you want to know things about. It starts with damn, and it ends with motherfucker. It is not really nine words. It's really, depending on how you count it, about 12. But nine nasty words sounded good because of the alliteration. So, that comes out in May, and I would like you to read it because I wrote it as a labor of love And, well, I, I wrote it and so I want people to buy it and I do a language podcast and so I would have to push it. And to go into a different area, it's gotten to the point that a critical mass of you know that there is jolly language podcaster, linguist me, then there's the less jolly, quote unquote, contrarian race writer, me. And that's a more controversial aspect of me, but I have to say that that me is now writing regularly on this thing called Substack. And I am at John McWhorter, just kludge it all together, com. There I am writing pieces. On my opinions about the issues of the day, usually about race, and I'm also sharing the book that I wrote about race last summer, just basically in a grand, spontaneous Yelp, it's called The Elect, and you can read it there. I don't usually share that aspect of myself here in the Valley, but you know, it's getting to the point that enough of you know that I am basically being coy not to, and I would like you to read my substack, because I'm putting a lot into it. I want to end this one, not with negation, because that can seem kind of like a downer, but with something that I've just been noticing lately. What do you say when something hurts? We say, ow, ouch. But, you know, that's arbitrary. That's not what all people say. Japanese people say, itai. I once heard somebody in in Quebec say, ai. I've heard Daffy Duck say that in one cartoon, the million Hair. But real people, like, it. ouch. And the woman said, aye. And then I heard a guy say it once, too. There are all sorts of words you might make if somebody hurts you physically in some way. In Latin, apparently, it was, how, how, like that. So, now we think of ouch, but things change. And you know what? It was different in at least American English Just a century and change ago. And what I mean is that there is this ancient comic strip called Home Wanted by a Baby. It was by Claire Dwiggins. Claire Dwiggins was a man, for the record. And it was this daffy thing that collectors of ancient comics enjoy. And it had its moments, frankly, by modern standards, just some. But my favorite moment in these is that the baby is always like putting himself into a basket and becoming a foundling in front of somebody's door. And what the baby says is, wow, wow. And so, all sorts of things are happening and the baby is laying in this little thing going, wow, wow. Now, is that... The sound that a baby makes you think it would be like wah or something like that wow and I always <laughs> wonder what is that wow then I started looking around the pop culture of that time and it's interesting wow if you're talking about the teens and before meant ouch and the way that you know it is for example I had occasion recently to take a look at the very first Felix the Cat cartoons, and we're talking about the teens, so 1919, feline follies, and it's silent, but at one point somebody hurts Felix, something with the tail, that's the way one would hurt a cat if one desired to hurt a cat, and when the cat gets hurt in this barbaric way that things get hurt in silent comedies and silent cartoons of the time, the cat says, they have a balloon, the cat says, wow, isn't that interesting? Generally, if you're feeling physical pain these days, what you don't say is, wow, unless you're into certain things. But it's clear that when this cartoon cat is getting hurt, it's like, ow, wow, wow, which makes sense because ow is the same thing. And an ow starts with a W. So, it's like, wow, wow. It's kind of arbitrary that we start it with the ow part. And then there's a cartoon in 1932. This is Tom and Jerry, but not the cat and the mouse. It's just these two guys, and it's from this studio called the Van Buren Studio. They released through RKO. If you saw an RKO movie like Flying Down to Rio in 1932, the cartoon before it would be, frankly, one of these magnificently inept little cartoons like this. They're people who are big fans of the Van Buren cartoons because they're so charmingly inept. And needless to say, I have rubbed my nose in these because they are fascinatingly poor. And one of them has Tom and Jerry, these utterly ineffable men, and they're supposed to be plumbers, and at one point, they're falling down. The building has fallen to pieces, and they're falling down. And listen to what the one who I think is supposed to be Tom says as he boinks himself on one of the tubs. I'm not absolutely sure that that's wow, but I'm pretty sure that that's a wow. He hurts himself and goes, wow. And that's because back then, wow was one kind of ow. And that's changed, and now we use wow just to marvel. Before we go out, I just want to share with you one of my favorite two and a half minutes ever. No one cares about this but me, and I'm genuinely not sure why. This is Duke Ellington. This is Delta Bound. They did this in the David Simon series. Talk about him. Treme, one person does Delta Bound. The original, what I think is the first time it was recorded, is this, and it makes me just so happy. It's a wonderful arrangement. What I'm going to play for you first is just the instrumental. Listen to the play of the instruments between them. Somebody wrote this. The song itself, not much, but the arrangement on this, what the instruments have to play, where and why, is astonishing. So I'm going to give you I'm Delta Bound and here is one of the most wonderful 45 seconds of music I have ever known. <laughs> You can reach us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe, or just to reach out, go to slate.com slash lexiconvalley. You know, the Felix the Cat that I grew up with, you know, they're these silent ones, but then they revived him in the very late 50s. And if you were a 70s kid, you saw him on TV. The Felix the Cat I grew up with laughed like this. I thought that was so cute. He would do that at the end. And the person who did that was the same guy who did Popeye for 400 years. So like, it was, he was an amazing, he, anyway, Mike Volo is, as always, the editor. And I am John McWhorter.
1: I've been a rover, now that's over. Knee deep in clover, I'll soon be found. I'm on my way now, most any day now, I'm delta bound.